Welcome, you're listening to Podcast 21 from Football Aranya, available on SoundCloud, YouTube and iTunes. We're here to talk to you all about Dutch football. I'm Michael Statham and this time we'll be discussing the fallout of the Netherlands in the last international break as they lose 4-0 to France but beat Bulgaria 3-1. Are the World Cup hopes still alive? And Feyenoord enter the Champions League group stage this week. So we'll be previewing their match against Manchester City. We have a very special guest just for City fans. Uh, this week, I'm joined by James, editor Michael, Hello. and uh, our special guest for this week is Omar. Omar, would you like to introduce Hello. yourself? Yeah, um, I'm the head presenter and the founder of Citizens TV, which is a Manchester City fan channel. We just talk about Man City, we do match reviews and previews, so if you want to check us out, then please do not hesitate to yeah, check the channel out and follow us on Twitter at Citizens Telly. Lovely. Well, let's get started though, and I think a good place to start for this podcast would be Aranya. And we, we witnessed two differing results in the international break. There was a 4-0 pounding away at France, but also a 3-1 winner for Bulgaria. Um, Michael, would you like to start? I mean, how did you find the two games and the, compar- like the, the, the comparing performances that we saw? Because one was very negative, whilst the second was very positive. Well, to be fair, I don't think either was too positive um, in the end. And uh, I actually think there was very many positives from both games. And uh, it's very naive performance from the national team under Dick Advocate, who didn't seem to realise that goal difference would play such a major role um, going forward. I think he hoped that Belarus was going to get a result against Sweden, which just didn't happen. Um, the failure to bring on an extra defender when we went down 10 men against France was costly and that I think is going to come back to haunt us when they play Sweden and need to win by at least three goals um, against Bulgaria the play was very slow um, especially in the first half they would constantly go back to Jasper Sillison who just seemed to think he had all the time in the world and um, slowed everything down yeah. and I think 3-1 sort of flagged and everyone's actually um, weren't actually that good and even towards the end I thought maybe you'll throw on a second striker um, Bass Dost because Vincent Janssen was missing chances after chance um, but he just didn't um, then the whole Rude Hillett video afterwards saying oh it was a great game great performance it just seemed like neither of them really had a clue what was going on um, Sweden hammering Belarus means you know, we need to hope that Sweden don't hammer Luxembourg um, I know Luxembourg got a draw against France but you know, that might just be a one off if Sweden win 4 or 5 6 now that's it that's you know, Netherlands aren't going to go and hammer Belarus and then hammer Sweden this is not going to happen um, I think overall the two games showed that Netherlands don't really deserve to get to the World Cup and I don't think they're now going to I don't think they're going to overtake Sweden now Yeah I think that's the problem because that that nil-nil draw for Luxembourg in France at least gives a slight glimmer of hope to the Netherlands because they can get a result in Sweden um, based on that performance alone but it does worry, doesn't it, that the Netherlands can see a force France, but Luxembourg get a clean sheet. And it shows the state of the Netherlands team. It, it still hasn't improved. Avocats had long enough. But it was interesting what Van Hal said, wasn't it? Because he gave his opinion on the state of affairs of the national team and said that 4-3-3 wasn't the way forward and that the team isn't playing to its strengths. Um, and that was the case. They were cut open far too easily. And I didn't think it was good enough. But then Bulgaria was... Uh, a decent performance, 
But again, it it should be a game that Netherlands easily win. But they still had some struggles in that match as well. I think Van Gaal's points were really interesting, especially the point that he made where he doesn't believe that a manager should be sacked um, during the qualification cycle, referring to Blind and referring to Hiddink. Um I think with Sweden being at home to Luxembourg in Solna, I think that will be the kind of like the the death knell for the qualification process for the Netherlands. Um, as soon as the match was finished against Bulgaria in the um, pre-match conference, uh, pre-match press conference, Advocate was questioned about the possibility of goal difference and potentially winning the game in Amsterdam in October by at least three goals. But I think this can be traced back to not only the ineptitude at, um, at board level and at the kind of bay, but also the fact that when this draw was initially made, uh, France, Bulgaria, Sweden in one group, it, it draws comparisons to the failure to qualify for Euro 2016, where they faced Iceland, where they faced Czech Republic and Turkey, and, and took the group far too lightly, thinking, we'll be all right, we'll get through this. And they don't appear to have learned in the, in the next qualification cycle for a major tournament. And um, they're staring down the barrel of missing um, two major tournaments uh, in a row for the first time since the 1980s. Did you not think the way that uh, Robin responded to the second goal when that went in? He sort of he was the only player that went to the goal to pick up the, the ball because he wants to take the ball back to the halfway line. He was the one that wanted to get play started again really quick because he knew that goal difference mattered and they didn't go for those extra goals to get the one over Sweden because at this rate it seems that they'd have to, I believe they have to match Sweden's result in amount of like, you know, goals scored. But then they have to then beat Sweden by three goals to nil at the moment as it stands. Um, it might not even be enough because one team that finishes second misses out. Um... So regarding on other results, it might not even be enough for Netherlands even to finish second at the moment. You would hope as well that if the um, obvious and the inevitable does inevitable does happen, that um, that the Kaiva Bay will finally put um, measures in place to come back, hopefully stronger. It may well take a bit of time. I think the country and the football setup were a little bit guilty of thinking that failure to qualify for Euro 2016 was a one-off. Um, but failure to react from that and come back stronger um, has kind of uh, been their downfall. I wonder where they do go from here because you've got, um, you've got, uh, especially this end locally, you've got um, discussions about AstroTurf and grass because uh, I think eight teams in the Eredivisie currently play on AstroTurf. If you compare that to the top divisions in Europe, that's not the case. And um, I think they're arguing amongst themselves as the future direction of that. Um, I just hope that they used the opportunity to really uh, do some soul searching and really try to put things in place. Because I can't stress enough, in the previous years and all the years that I've been here, when it came to selecting a national team manager, when it comes to choosing the direction of where the national team is going, the national team was always the most important fulcrum. And that was always the, the most important thing. And, and as the years have gone on, especially in recent years, the, the Dutch FA have lost sight of that. And they've become arrogant in terms of the qualification uh, groups they've been in, thinking, oh, we'll be all right, this will be fine. And uh, they've uh, come unstuck twice now in two uh, different qualification cycles. And uh, you can only hope that they learn from it. I've got a question that was sent in on Twitter. Uh, and they're asking about the future of Stoutman with the Netherlands. Because 
he was so highly rated in Italy, but when it comes to the national team, he's played out of position, isn't he? And that's what the question was. He, he's had such a poor performance as well against France. And it, does it look like he'll be able to continue in the national team? Does he have a future in any position? I think he'll stay in the national team, but only because of his name. Um, unless a manager comes in that starts playing tactically to strength, um, instead of picking players for a 4-3-3, then um, it's still going to happen. Streaming somehow has two managers now that seem to think he's a DM, and it's just disastrous. Um, unless we get a coach in that actually knows tactically what he's going to do, like Van Hal said, play a 5-3-2 and play players to strength instead of just playing players to a formation that they want to play in. Um, it's not going to work. I think Struman has a future in the national team because he's a very good player, but he needs to be played to his strength like every other player on the pitch instead of just going 4-3-3, three, three, put these players there and hoping it will just work out. I think he may well be involved in future squads, but I think that's dependent on the direction the national team is going to go in and who very well be, may well be the next manager after Advocat. Fair enough. And there's also another bit to the question asking about Bastos' future, because who's going to be first-choice striker in the next couple of games, but also in the next qualification cycle? Is Vincent Janssen the answer, even though he's struggling for goals? Can he get a game at Fenerbahce? Or is Bastos going to be the, the new striker to lead the line? I think Janssen's helped himself by getting that move, even in a loan sense. I think it, if he would have helped himself a lot more if he'd have admitted that and maybe uh, left earlier in the, in the summer to maybe a, 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 a different club in maybe a stronger league. But I think um, I think once he realised he didn't get a Champions League squad number with uh, Tottenham Hotspur, that um, his time was up. And um, it made me think of the season I watched him play before he left for Tottenham, where he was scoring goals for fun. scored a wonderful goal in the game I attended against Ajax, Isaac Alakmar in a 4-2 win. And um, everybody was saying, you've you got to stay, you've got to relax, don't worry about it. If, if you have another good season, someone will come in for you. And I think um, I think he was sold the project by Spurs. And um, I think he... Uh, I think he took the bait, but he's hardly pl he's hardly played. And if you think of the time that he's lost in improving his game and the catch up that he's now got to do, he's going to have to work now twice as hard to get himself in cont contention to scoring goals on a regular basis, and eventually having a bigger influence in the national team. Hmm. I think in Netherlands change the way they play. I think Bastos just doesn't suit it, um, which is strange because you think about the Bulgaria game. And how much space Daly Blind got on the left to cross the ball in. He was crossing it to, to small players like Robin Janssen. He's like tall players. If Bastos was there, you think that's a target. Daly Blind's going to get that space and he's a great crosser of the ball. You think that would work today. But they just don't seem to, to want to use Bastos at all. And it's, it's getting to a stage where it's just strange. Like every single week he's scoring for Sporting Lisbon. Um, scoring poor on goals in last minute situations and then it comes to the national team and he just gets overlooked. It's just really strange. Yeah. Well, Omar, as you can see, um, the Netherlands national team is just full of complaints and, uh, and struggles. I just think it's a little bit surprising looking at it from an outsider's perspective, the, the decline of, of the Netherlands because, I mean, I've always thought of Holland as a, as a team that are sort of always there at tournaments and I've always looked very, very good. So... From an outsider's perspective, it's a little surprising. I think you're in a very, very 
difficult uh, situation in in the group. And I, to be honest, I, I would agree that, that it's it's doubtful that you'll you'll qualify for the for the World Cup. And I was also surprised that you didn't qualify for Euro 2016 as well. I think there were some players, some key players that have declined a bit and uh, with age, like Huntelaar or Van Persie, uh, Schneider as well. So perhaps it's been a bit difficult to replace them. But again, looking at some other very good younger players like Klaas and Sanchez, who seem to have done very well um, at club level at least. So I'm, I'm a little surprised from an outsider's perspective that the Netherlands are doing so poorly. But of course, you know, I don't, I don't sort of have the knowledge that, that you guys do on um, the Holland national team. Well, it's interesting you say about the players in club level because there are still some regular players coming from the Eredivisie. But this comes into our next topic because... Feyenoord are one of, only one of two out of the five teams that qualified for Europe that are still left in European competition. You've only got Feyenoord in the Champions League with the Test in the Europa League. And that's because teams have struggled to qualify. And the hopes truly lie on Feyenoord's shoulders in a group containing Shakhtar Donetsk, Man City and Napoli. Feyenoord play Man City first. Um, I mean, where do we begin here? So... Feyenoord are sitting pretty at the top of the Eredivisie, the league they won last season. And in my opinion, they're the best, best equipped team from the Dutch league at the moment to take on any any other team in Europe, um, especially in the groups of their own. What's the view of Man City's end though? What, 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 have, what do Man City fans know about Feyenoord? Do they know what kind of tactics they're going to be facing? The majority of us, I don't think so, no, because the Eredivisie... Um... With all, with all due respect, it's not a massively high-profile league mm. around Europe. And, of course, we haven't played many Dutch teams in Europe. I mean, the last time we played a Dutch team was five years ago. So we don't know too much about the league itself. I think we're probably looking at Feyenoord as a, a team that we should be beating. Um, I think we're looking at Shatar and Feyenoord as teams that we should be beating. I think the tie that we're all more looking at as the big game is going to be Napoli. But at the same time, I've been seeing a couple of final fans say don't underestimate us uh, and the atmosphere could play a big part as well. Mm. Well, that, that's probably the key part from um, a final perspective, that they can use those home games as a, a small glimmer of hope of qualifying. Although that small glimmer of hope might not be as tiny as some people think, because in um, in previous Euro European campaigns, they've, they've won all their home games at home. I think it was, which season was it? I don't know if James and Mike want to butt in here, but they they played three home games in the Europa League in the past, one or three, one of them being against Sevilla, which they won quite comprehensively 2-0. Do any of you guys remember that season? The year from which they won the, the, Dutch, uh, the Dutch Cup. Mm. They went into Europe. 2014. 2014, that's yeah. the one, yeah. And, and um, yeah, they, um, they're very um, motivated for European games. And... Um, I agree with Omar that Manchester City and Napoli are extremely strong, but I think Feyenoord will give anyone a game at home, and they're all going to relish the opportunity to um, to take on um, to take on very very good teams at home. They were slightly disappointed from this end, but they didn't really get a really glamour glamour Champions League draw. But they're also quietly confident that they can maybe spring a surprise. But I would only. Um, I would only suggest that any potential results um, for Feyenoord could well come at home. If you look at their last European campaign where they played Fenerbahce, Manchester United and uh, 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 Luhansk from Ukraine, 
they did quite well at home but struggled away and eventually failed to qualify for the knockout stages. So I think they'll, um, they'll be a list of opportunity coming up against Manchester City. But uh, my prediction for the game, actually, um, between final and Manchester City, is that Manchester City will win 3-1. Yeah, I was going to say something similar myself. Um, it depends how well final can restrain City. Because I, I, it's going to be tricky for players such as Dix or Hupps or um, Alamadi midfield to really get hold of those attacking players such as the Browner or out wide you've got Sterling and I think the pace is going to be a little too much to try and get in behind. I, I do worry though, I, I don't think Final are going to sit back but I do worry that they'll be a little bit too restrictive and it will hold them back eventually and if they do end up going to go down say in the first half it's going to be tricky to recover from that especially with that Nikolai Jorgensen. Um, James, you were telling me just before the podcast that he's out injured. Is that correct? Because he missed the Herakles game. But is it for yeah, certain? The, um, the reports coming from the local media this end is that he's out with a hamstring and that he will not participate against Manchester City. So that will be a blow to uh, final. It will be a blow to him as well, having had such a good season. But, um, you know... Um, it's an opportunity for final to, to in their own stadium get off to a good start. They're going to relish the opportunity, and um, I, I can't see them being completely outclassed by Manchester City. But by the same token, I, I can see Manchester City winning, but uh, final giving their all to try and get a positive result. Yeah, Jorgensen is definitely going to be a key cog that's missing because uh, for final, he is their their striker that holds up all the play. He creates opportunities. He's also quite deadly inside the box. There's, there's a reason why Everton really wanted him. But their replacement, Michael Kramer, is um, he's just a, a, a lamppost, basically, on my Six foot something, and he's just tall. He hasn't got a lot of skill with his feet. And that's what I worry about, whether that's going to really, you know, toy with Man City's back line. But could you tell us more, perhaps, Omar, about, about, about Man City's defence? We all know about their attackers and how well they score goals. But how is the new defence looking? Should we be playing a back five I've seen? Then it's back four. And I don't really know what's going on. There's all sorts going on with your midfielders, defenders. But Guardiola's like that, isn't he? Yeah, we've mainly been playing with a back five. Unfortunately, the company, of course, was out injured on Saturday. Uh, after that, well, I can't really describe a fantastic win over Liverpool. We played Danilo as a centre-back, and he's becoming the sort of new utility player which is very, it's great to have a player like him who can play in multiple positions. So I'd expect us to stick with the back five after Saturday's result. We're going to push high. The fullbacks are going to bomb on. Walker and Mendy, who I'd expect to start, uh, they're going to really push forward and they're going to provide more of a threat from out wide. And with all due respect, again, to Feyenoord, this is just how we're going to set up. We're not going to set up like some other teams will away from home in Europe. We're not going to sit deeper, we're going to play Pep's way, it's going to be a higher line um, focus on keeping the ball and try to dominate the game, really take it to Feyenoord, and I think if Feyenoord are to come out of us, that will probably benefit us more, Liverpool did the same before Mane sending off and we do tend to struggle though, when teams sit a lot deeper, this formation particularly, we struggled against Brighton to break him down for quite a while in that game, Everton they defended very well. That was quite tough as well. And Bournemouth as well, we only just got that win. So the start of the season has been actually okay. But I think Feyenoord, I don't want to underestimate them at all. So I think it's, there's definitely a possibility that they could get the result. But if they're going to come forward a bit more like you say, then I think we'll be able to uh, pick pick some holes in that defence and uh, win the game. 
Uh, I personally think the main concern will be the defense. Um, as I already said, the wing, the the wing backs slash full backs, um, one might find it quite easy to cut through the defense. But there's also an issue at centre back because I get the impression that uh, Van Bronckhorst wants to play Botahin and Van der Heiden at centre back. They're both very experienced defenders, but are around the age of 30, quite slow. But in the area of Vizier, that's enough because playing a high line means very intelligent defenders can play the offside trap. But in games like this one, where they're probably going to sit a bit deeper, um, I, I worry that the pace will be a bit too much for them and Man City will be able to cut through. Um, Michael, what do you think? The, what's your prediction going to be for this one? Um, I'm going to go a bit more hopeful. Uh, interestingly, it's actually a year to the day this week. Um, so last year and this week, Feyenoord beat Manchester United 1-0 at home so uh, let's just repeat it let's just beat City 1-0 and um, get off to a good start and that's my, my hope anyway but um, I actually think the atmosphere will get the players really riled up for it I think Jorgensen yeah he's a big miss but um, around the pitch why not have players that can hurt Manchester State defence especially if the fullbacks backs forward and um, you got Berghaus who's in great form you got Oasis has been in great form since he came back you'll have players that will no, they won't give Manchester City time in midfield because you've got Valhena, you've got El Madi, they'll be snapping at them, closing them down constantly, you get the ball to Trunstra, you'll create something and then, you know, I'm just hoping that if Feyenoord can get one chance, take it and then just frustrate Manchester City. Because um, I think a lot of people are underestimating Feyenoord um, and going into this group and I think they can definitely cause shocks at home. They've shown it in Europe constantly that at home they're, they're good. I mean, it wasn't just Sevilla a couple of years ago, it was Roma as well. They gave them trouble. Um, I think Giovanni Van Bonkers will have the players very well motivated for this game. And uh, if Manchester City are anything but concentrating on it, if they underestimate final, then it could be, could be a good week for the Dutch side. Hmm. Well, let's see what happens then. Um, I think my, my prediction was a little, a little harsh. I still think it might be 3-1 Man City. But it really just depends how much the occasion... Uh, really revs Feyenoord up because nights like these are ones where balls will go your way and you'll get those lucky free kicks going your way but uh, I, yeah that, that, that win against Man United does, does say quite a lot um, especially since they've, their compact style worked that night and they got one chance and they, they scored it um, but then that, also that night United had players like Pogba and Ibrahimovic that just weren't up to weren't up to the fight and Again, that will show City don't quite fancy it. Um, but just finally for you, Omar, uh, do you think that City have a chance for the league this season? Yeah, I think there's optimism from our fans and also expectation. There's Last season was, I think, we were all prepared to treat that as a transitional season, uh, to get used to the system. We were happy with the progress that we made. Uh, albeit there was a bit of disappointment that we didn't come away with a trophy. So I think there's expectation this year. And I think, yeah, I think there is uh, a good chance for us to win the league. I mean, personally, I think we are going to win it. I think Lily Pep's style has gelled now. And I think we've improved on the areas in the squad that we needed to. The full-backs last season were very poor. And I think if I had players last season with the full-backs, they'd have had a much better chance of beating us than they do now. More, uh, Walker and Mendy and Danilo as well have all made a massive, massive difference. And 
it's not like last season. It's not like we were massively off the pace. I mean, if you actually look at the points we dropped at home, if we'd have won all the games that we drew at home, which was seven, then we'd have been one point behind Chelsea. And the only home game we lost last season was against Chelsea. So I think if we can turn the, those draws into wins, then I think we'll have a very, very good chance. You've got pressure on the team. Um, it's it's also going to tell in the, the Champions League. And getting for that group is going to be very difficult. Um, one more point from us on Man City. In, in, in the Eredivisie, there's been an influx of Man City loanees recently. And I was speaking to someone about this the other day and I was asking them whether all these loanees are out on loan, whether they're good enough or not, is, is profitable for the club. You've got, um, how many? One, two, three, four, five, six players on loan at Nat Breda this season. I've seen a couple play and I was actually quite impressed by the likes of Pablo Mari. But he's 23 and still on Man City's books. It's crazy to think that some of these are going to make it to Man City's first team. The truth is they're not. Are there any players you've kept an eye on that you know in the Eredivisie, Omar? I know there's Buckley Ricketts as well at Twente. Yeah. I think the two that we're mainly looking at would be uh, Thierry Ambrose and Manu Garcia. Uh, Manu Garcia played a couple of games in 2015-16 and he looked decent. Uh, got a goal against Crystal Palace in the League Cup. But Paolo Marine, I don't expect to play for Manchester City. Um, I think he's... There's probably going to be the majority of players that we do loan out. They're guys that are to put in the short window to sell either to the club that we've loaned them to or to someone else. Um, but I'd, it's, I'd like to, well, I'd like to hope that these guys are given a chance in the first team. I wanted to see Angelino given an opportunity as the backup left back to Mendy because I think we're short in that area. Uh, but unfortunately, I think we're all in agreement at City that the majority of players that we loan out, um, especially. Uh, because uh, oh, sorry, Nat Breda, um, I believe they're part of the City Football Group, uh, along with Girona as well, we've learned about a few players too. So that's obviously to make sure that they're performing well, which makes, of course, the City Football Group look better. So I think the two that we're mainly focusing on will probably be Manu Garcia and Thierry Ambrose and probably Angelino as well. Yeah, they, they look like some decent footballers, actually. Um, especially Angelino is very good with his feet, perhaps not defensively. But... Uh, do you, do you think it's profitable for Man City to keep loaning out all these players, even though they, they probably know themselves they're never going to make it to the Premier League? I think it probably helps with income as well. Uh, Chelsea, I'm not sure if they, they still do this, do this with Patashi. They still own yeah. a few. Um, yeah, yeah. And I know that does provide a lot of money for Chelsea um, through like a sort of a player trading thing and how they're able to sell those players on. I think with us, it's to make sure the city football, the teams in the city football group are, are performing well, um, and also because we want to put them in the shot window. Like I said, because I think, yeah, the majority of people who we've loaned out, I think, um, I think Ashley Smith Brown was one that got loaned out. Um, maybe it was last season, a couple of years ago. I think um, James Horsfield was one who I think has signed for Breda now permanently, yeah. hasn't he? Yeah. So, it's yeah. You do. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. So I think there's there's a probability, I think, uh, that uh, one, maybe two players that are loaned yeah. out at Breda now will probably sign permanently in either at the end of this season or in the near future. Yeah. To elaborate on um, Omar's point about Thierry Ambrose, I know that he's very highly rated at Nat Breda. I know the manager Stan Flaven was uh, raving about him pre-season in terms of his touch, his acceleration and his ball control. 
And um, although that Napoleon have had a, a, a stuttering start to the season and lost in Alakmaar today to RZ, I think it's going to be a long season for Napoleon. But um, I, I, I'm confident they'll still stay up. But um, just to elaborate on Omar's point that um, Terry Ambrose is uh, highly rated in Blade Out already, having only uh, having only just gone on loan um, this season. I wouldn't mind dropping a mention about Frank de Boer and that um, I think it's a massive shame that he's under pressure already after only four games and a, a very unwanted record of not just getting any points but not scoring any Premier League goals. I think that will come. Uh, um, I think that will be a quiz question in a couple of years' time. Yeah. And um, it's um, if you look at their next game, I think Crystal Palace plays Southampton, and then they have uh, I think it's Chelsea, uh, Manchester oh, United. Yeah, they've got us in two weeks. Yeah, and um, I think I think the pressure's going to mount on him. But it, it's such a shame from his point of view because. He was often an analyst for uh, Dutch games, um, especially Ajax in Europe last season, where he was he was always hassled as to what his next club will be, what he's going to do, and he was always saying, you have to give me um, time and space to make the right decision. And it appears that he hasn't really learned from um, the experience at Inter. I, I, one of our very first podcasts this season, I stated, OK, prematurely, when the season just started, I don't think he'll make it to Christmas. Um, there is the question now: Will he make it to October? But um, it's 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 just a big shame. But hopefully, you if it does go that way, you would hope that it teaches not just Dutch managers but all managers with all the resources you have and all the all the people around you and the environment you work in that you must. This goes for players as well as. Uh, uh, for players when they're signing for clubs, you must choose carefully. It's not it's not fantasy football. Crystal Palace were um, it's their first ever foreign manager, and you would think a club like Crystal Palace, it, if it does go that way, I think it will be their last for quite some time. So it just goes to show how carefully players and managers uh, must think before uh, before putting pen to paper and not just being caught up in the bright lights. I agree with you, but. De Bruyne, on, on reflection, before he joins Palace, looks like a good manager. But I, I never had faith in his ability since he was at Ajax because his last two seasons were, they were atrocious. But that was a, a, a low point for the Eredivisie in, in terms of quality. And there wasn't a lot of competition to win the league at that point. And he did win the, the league four, four times in a row. Uh, so yeah, I, I just was never that confident in his ability anyway. He never really brought through many... Uh, young players himself, they weren't, and, and he ended up buying a few players that were either past their best or looking for another chance in Europe, and they were just very stale old players. And it's not the Ajax way, and I think it's just gone on to show his true colours. To be honest, I think it's, I think his career is going to take a bit of a battering if this does go the way everybody thinks it's going to go, because to have a uh, I think a stint of 84 days in Inter and to have only signed uh, for Crystal Palace this summer. Uh, managers are always asking for longevity, always asking for time and have to have two very, very short stints in two very, very strong leagues. I think that's a big ask for him to rectify his career and come back stronger, to be honest. Although no Dutch FA, he'll probably still end up in the, the national team job next year. Who knows, but if they've got any ambition... The, uh, the Dutch FA and they want to right a wrong 
Kuman wanted that job in 2014, he didn't get it. And um, if they really want to go for it and they really want to make amends, they, from my point of view, they should, uh, when the time is right and Everton are perhaps not uh, on form or the expectations are high due to the money spent, if they pick their moments carefully, they could still get Kuman instead after... Um, um, once Advocat has left the position, uh, once the qualification is finished. Okay. Um, yeah, so just a point that I wanted to raise. I think Kuman probably would be a good choice because he's not going to be Evan forever. I see Kuman as a parallel to us. Kuman's a bit like Mark Hughes was for us. It'll be good to start their new sort of uh, rebuilding phase to get back to the top of the short ball, but he's not going to be there forever because he's a good manager, I think, but he's not, I think, the top-level manager. But I think in terms of realistic targets for the Dutch national team, I think he'd, he'd probably be the best that you've got available. I agree, uh, Omar, as, as well. One thing that he would do, which is needed in the Dutch national team at the minute, is to make that team competitive and to pick players and to, to mould a team together because that's not been done under Hiddink, that's not been done under Blind, and you could argue it's not been done under Advocat and that's the one thing that needs to be done for the next cycle. Uh, apart from that, you've also got the eventual draw for um, the qualification for Euro 2012. Who do, who do they face? Do they drop down in rankings? So it's um, a lot of work to be done, but if they, if they form a strong base, then uh, they should be able to make it to uh, a national team, a national uh, tournament again. Would you mind if I just uh, name drop the Pelle van Arnhout um, uh, interview, which is now online from the, after the LA Galaxy Colorado Rapids match in in Los Angeles last Saturday? So that's a that's a good read for the people that want to read it. And tomorrow I go to Daventer to interview the go ahead Eagle striker Leon de Gogel. So um, it'll be interesting to see what he has to say. He had uh, in his um, earlier in his career um, a stint at VfB Venlo. And FC Utrecht, so uh, I look forward to posing him a few questions tomorrow and hopefully that should be up in the next couple of days. Omar, it's been great to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. Been very knowledgeable and uh, best of luck luck with Manchester City this season. Thank you. Hope I uh, did well on the podcast. Yeah, Yeah. I thought it was was very professional, but well done. Thank you. I've also been enjoying listening to your podcast as well. I think you're all really, really good. Thank you. Very nice. Don't forget to subscribe. I've subscribed to you. <laughs> yeah, I'll have, to, I'll, have to, I'll have to do it. When you put him in the link for the podcast, I'll follow, I'll follow him. So uh, I'll take care of that. Thank okay. you. All right. Have a good night. Take care.